Uh, well, good morning. Glad you're here today. Uh, we are in John right now as a church family. So please turn to John chapter 14 with me. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair rack in front of you. And the page we'll be on in those Bibles is page 622. So 622, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that with you. We're in a series that we're calling uh, Christ Our Life, and we're seeking just together to walk through John 13 to 17, which chronologically covers only um, a little less than a 24-hour period of time, not very long at all, and yet there's so much there we're slowing down as a family to just walk through it methodically together. And today we're going to come to um, a, another wonderfully meaty section. I hope you've been enjoying this as much as I have. We'll be in chapter 14, and I'll read um, 5 through 7, just as review to bridge into the text for this week. So John 14, 5. Thomas said to him, that's to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If you have questions about that, I encourage you to listen to the podcast or look at the notes online. That's what we covered last week. So new for today. Philip, this is another one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the count of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We live in a time when it's uh, easier to connect with other people than it's ever been before. Most of you, if you reach in your pocket or in your purse, will find what? Not a gun, hopefully. Uh, a it says Arizona, after all. Flint, is that what you said? Nice. I'm looking for a phone. Most of you will find a phone. Many of us carry phones that enable us to access each other incredibly easily. I'm old enough to remember when the very first portable available to the public came out. There was a big bag phone. It was like this big. My dad had it in his car, and you plugged it in. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I don't know why you'd need a phone this big, but he had one in his car. Now, we can text each other directly, or we can broadcast something to the whole world. The opportunity for relationships we have is remarkable, isn't it? But all this social media and the mobile nature of American society is making us quite impersonal people. We have friends, at least on Facebook, that we can reach out to, but 
a lot of us have less people that we can actually call friends. You can't build a friendship very well in 150 characters. But we try and we keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. Why? Well, human beings are people who desire relationships. Despite all the heartache and pain we cause each other, the vast majority of us keep trying. We keep trying to be known and to know. We yearn for meaningful interaction with one another. That's part simply of what it means to be a human being, is to desire to be in relationship with other people. But this desire to know and be known at a much deeper level is, is a shadow of something more important, something more significant even than that. Behind our longing for interaction with each other is a desire to know God. And that's part of what Jesus is getting at here in this passage. Since human beings are made in the image of God, we have the instinctive desire to know each other. And perhaps unknowingly at times, we have the desire to crave and longing for a knowledge and intimacy with our Creator, God Himself. Maybe we could say that there's no greater desire than the desire to know God. And if that's true, then human, humanity's deepest need is to know God. Out of all the needs that we have, the most urgent, most pressing, most timely, most important need that you and I have is the need to know God. Now, we discussed last week Jesus' claim to be the way, the truth, and the life. We talked about that through Jesus' death and resurrection being applied to our lives, it's possible to come to a knowledge of God. And many of you in the room, that has happened for. Amen? Sin is what separates human beings from a relationship with God, the scriptures tell us. But Jesus resolved that through the cross by offering himself as a sacrifice acceptable to God. He is truly the way, the truth, and the life. Now, it's in that context of everything we said last week that Philip says, look again at verse 8. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Show us the Father. Rightly understood, there's no richer experience, no deeper satisfaction, no settled, resolved feeling of love more wonderful than to come to know God. There's nothing better than that. And that's what Philip is begging for. He's saying, Jesus, show us the Father. Reveal God to us. He's our greatest longing. Give us some assurance, and surely that will be enough for us. On the surface, that's all it appears that he's saying, but if you study the passage more closely, Philip was probably asking to Jesus, for Jesus to do something miraculous. He's uncertain and troubled and confused, and he's asking Jesus for, for proof by miracle, if you will. Do an undeniable thing, and then I'll believe. Show up in a demonstrative way, and then I'll know. Philip was asking for one of those moments that we sometimes find in the Old Testament when God shows up as a fire in the night sky that led the Israelites in the desert, or in a burning bush that didn't burn up to Moses, or in a vision to Jacob. That's what he thought he needed in order to believe. If you'll remember the context, all the disciples are confused. 
For years, they've been wandering around with Jesus, listening to him teach, and expecting that he would walk into Jerusalem and become the Messiah in the sense of establishing an earthly kingdom. But now they've come into Jerusalem, and all Jesus seems to be talking about is dying. And kings don't die. So what is he saying? And then Jesus begins talking about going away. And they had staked their entire future on the belief that Jesus was king, he's Messiah, and he's going to rule, he's going to reign. So, of course, their confusion is understandable, right? Imagine if you'd been there. We would have all been confused. So it's as though he's saying, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're saying you're the way and the truth and the life? Have mercy on us. This is confusing. Show us some undeniable, visible demonstration of God. And then I'll believe. Then that'll be enough for me. I wonder, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever found yourself praying that kind of prayer or having that kind of desire? I certainly have. God, people say you're there, but I don't see you. Everybody else around me seems to have warm fuzzies that you're with them, but I don't. Do something to really make yourself known. God, if only you would address this problem or fix my spouse or take away my anxiety or heal my mom's cancer or give me a job, vindicate me over this injustice, give me some friends, allow me to get pregnant. I've never prayed that one. Take away my loneliness. Speak audibly to me. Help me stop making the same mistake over and over and over. God, if you just do that one thing, that'd be enough. That'd be enough. God, give me a sense that you're here. Show me. If you're really good and powerful and true, like people say you are, you'll do that. If you've ever felt that way, then maybe you can identify with Philip. And if you haven't, then honestly, I think it's safe to say you can look forward to that in your future. Because most everybody has a day like that every now and then. They have a struggle, perhaps driven by crisis, a trial, unexpected event, in which what we say we believe is actually substantially tested. And then we're like, Philip, God, God, just demonstrate yourself. Certainly you can do that. Now, Jesus' response is pretty fascinating. It's worth reading again. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Don't you know me, Philip? Now, certainly Philip knew Jesus in many ways, didn't he? He'd been with him nonstop for a couple of years. Jesus trained him how to do ministry. He taught him from the Old Testament, opening it up in a way he had never heard before. He mentored him, he prayed with him, he equipped him, he served him. 
He saw Jesus do miraculous things. Incredible power. Philip did everything religious his culture told him to do. You see, at this time, if you were a man and you were really desiring to follow God, then you would find a rabbi, and that rabbi would find you, and you would be tutored by that person, and they would develop you. And the point wasn't simply to have the knowledge that he had, but to take on his way of life. So to know what he knows and to begin to live how he lived. And so Philip had done that with Jesus. That's what the culture taught him to do. Now put that in our context. Maybe you've been doing all kinds of religious things. Perhaps everything Christians tell you to do. Attending church service, giving money, stopping all the big sins, maybe even going all out, getting in a gospel community and serving. If that's you and someone you respected came along and said to you when you had a struggle, don't you know Jesus? How do you think you'd receive that? This is not rhetorical. How do you think you'd receive that? That's, I think perhaps there might be a fence or a defensive posture. And yet, that's what Jesus is saying to Philip. Philip, don't you know me? Haven't you recognized who I am? It's not so much beating him as it's trying to open his heart, trying to graciously, lovingly say, ah, oh, Philip, you, you don't get the whole story yet. Friends, that's what loving brothers and sisters say to one another at times. So we help each other come to question and probe deeper. But Jesus says there is a sense in which Philip doesn't yet really know all there is to know about Jesus. And certainly that's true for you and me, regardless of where we are on our spectrum of belief. Maybe we could call the difference knowing about God versus genuinely knowing God. Those are not the same thing. Maybe you're here today and you're totally empty and you know it, and that's why you're here. Or maybe you're here and you've been gorging yourself on life and you're quite satisfied. Maybe you're doing many of the Christian behaviors, as people call them, or maybe your lifestyle is just the opposite. But regardless of the circumstance, unless you see Jesus correctly for who he is and embrace him as both Lord and Savior, then Jesus would say, you have yet to really know me. There's more to me to embrace. You're still looking to genuinely know God. Maybe you know about God, but knowing God happens by faith, by turning from sin and turning to God. It's the Father regarding you as he regards the Son. Your need and my need always is to know God and to know God more, to have a personal knowledge of God such that God himself becomes the planet, the, the stable place, the belief upon which all the rest of our lives orbit. Now, how does that happen? That's a big question, isn't it? How does somebody know God 
God who's transcendent, a God who's all-powerful, a God who knows everything, a God who's always been, that's quite different from you and I. How do we know a God like that? Well, the passage tells us, actually. And it's, it's on one level simple and on another level very complex. So let's do a brief flyover, if you will, and then go a little deeper in a moment. Jesus' claim is to see him is to see God the Father. Now, this is one of the most shocking things Jesus ever said. It's certainly up there on par with I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean? To see me is to see the Father. He's saying, to look at me is to look at God. Now, uh, we have the blessing of being people living in Arizona. You might not feel that way as it's started getting hotter this last week. But we have incredible sunsets here, don't we? Have you ever been in the car with a friend and you're riding along, you're driving, you're, you're aware that there's a sunset, but the other person in the car says, oh my gosh, look at that. And, and hopefully not in the middle of the road at a stoplight, but you stop and you look and you really see it and you take it in. Have you ever had that kind of moment? That's what Jesus is saying. To, to not just glance at and be aware of, but to stop and notice and be changed. That's to see me, is to see the Father. You noticed it before, but you didn't really gaze on it. It's possible, in other words, to see something without really comprehending it. That's what Jesus is saying to Philip. I don't do this very often, um, but just to reference how I get that. In the Greek language, so the original language the New Testament was written in, there's several different words for our word to see. And so it's kind of difficult to catch what Jesus is saying. There's one word that means basically blepo. Do you want to say that with me? Come on. Blepo. It's kind of fun, isn't it? Say it with more gusto. Blepo. Right? Blepo basically means to see something and, and just generally notice that it's there. So it's driving and just seeing a sunset, being aware that it's there, but that's it. That's not the word Jesus uses. He uses a different word, horao. You want to try that one? That's pathetic. Come on. Horao. Horao. It's more like Chinese in some ways. This word means more. It means to not only notice something, but to perceive and understand it. Jesus is saying, to, to see me, to perceive me, to come to grips with who I am, to really understand me. When that happens, then you've seen the Father. To see Jesus is to have had an encounter with him such that we grasp who he really is. And when that happens, then we've seen God. That's what Jesus is saying. So there's a sense in which we could say that Philip has learned lots of information about Jesus. But he's been so busy with and committed to his own unlimited understanding of who Jesus is 
that he hasn't yet got the full picture. He's been around him, but he hasn't yet fully understood him. Now, are you confused yet? I find this a little confusing. So let's try to take another step deeper into what Jesus is saying. Who is Jesus? The passage really begs that question. Jesus says here that he and the Father are one. This would mean that the more we know Jesus, the more we know God, because Jesus reveals God, because Jesus is God. So in other words, do you want to know what God's like? I hope that's why you're here. That's the reason a body gathers. It's to encourage each other in the quest to know God more. Do you want to know what God's like? Then look at Jesus. That's what he's saying. Is God loving? That's a great question. Look at Jesus dying on the cross, God giving himself as the sacrifice for sins. There should be no question. Is God compassionate? Well, look at Jesus touching the leper, healing him by his touch, someone who likely had not been touched in years. Is God truthful? Look at him teaching people with such authority that their lives literally change by hearing and believing. Is God gracious and forgiving? Look at him letting the prostitute pour the scent of her trade on his feet and wipe them with her hair. Look at Jesus, God embracing Peter and Peter being forgiven even though he denied him. Is God powerful? Well, look at Jesus calming the storm. Is God just? Look at him caring for the poor and telling the rich, it's going to be hard for you to get into heaven because you depend on your money to do things what it can't do for you. Is God victorious over evil? Look at Jesus resurrected. To see Jesus is to see God. Jesus is God's full disclosure of himself on earth. The passage that Allison read earlier, one of our residents, is worth repeating. It says, look, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament time period. But in these last days, in the New Testament time period, he has spoken to us by his Son, who he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom the world was created. Now watch this close. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the, power of his, by the word of his power. Making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's a brilliant passage. I don't claim to be able to understand all of it. But Jesus is part of what historians and theologians call the Trinity. Now, that's not a word in the Bible, but it's a word that helps us understand the Bible. That God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons as part of one being called God. There is a sense in which there's mystery to that, which is partly disconcerting to us because we want to understand everything about everything. But part of that evokes awe because God is bigger than us, stronger than us, smarter than us, wiser than us, even down to the being of God. 
Any notion we have of God's character that doesn't line up with Jesus is false because to see Jesus is to see the Father. Does that clear up all your questions? Friend, if you struggle to understand all of this, then you're in good company. We all do. But perhaps more importantly, people who lived with Jesus also struggled to understand it. Philip himself spent years walking around Israel with Jesus, and until his death and resurrection, he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. The disciples thought a lot of Jesus. They respected him. They had pledged to take on his way of life. They counted him to be the long-awaited Messiah. But pre-crucifixion and resurrection, they didn't understand that the Old Testament itself pointed forward to and clearly articulated that Jesus would be both the slaughtered lamb and the sovereign Lord. They simply didn't expect it. The resurrection is what it took. It is what inaugurated the whole new era in which we live. Now, there's a ton more that could be said here about God's three-in-oneness, but I want to be faithful to preach this particular passage. So we've got to go on. So far, we've said two things. To see Jesus is to see the Father. And if you want to know God, then look to Jesus. So let me repeat those. To see Jesus is to see the Father. And if you want to know God, then you look to Jesus. But let's flesh that out a little more in the way this passage does it. The last time I checked, Jesus isn't walking around anywhere. So the Jesus we read about in the Gospels, the Jesus we're reading about now, isn't physically here. You can see some weird things walking around on Mill, but you're not going to see Jesus walking around on Mill. So in one sense, does this seem like we're saying, well, the most important thing you can possibly desire is a desire to know God. And God is knowable. And if you want to know Jesus, then look at, if you want to know God, then look at Jesus. And to see Jesus is to see God. But you can't see Jesus. Thanks, preacher. Glad I came today. What are we supposed to look at? Well, Jesus told us. He tells us to look at the Bible. Now, that might feel like a bit of a letdown, but give me a few moments to try and explain. We've said, or we've answered, who is Jesus? Now we need to answer, what is the Bible? The Bible's unlike any other book on the planet. It's God's inspired word. Now, not in the sense that we would say, oh, that novel was really inspired, or that poem was really inspired, or even that cookbook was really inspired. But in a specific sense, in the sense that something inspired by God is breathed out by God. So it comes with all of God's characteristics. It's alive. It comes with the life and the power and the wisdom and the brilliance and the perfection of God himself. It's a witness to God about God that we might know God. That's what the Bible is. 
So Jesus is claiming, as we read it and listen to it, then the Word of God does the work of God. And understand, this isn't a theory about the Bible that people came up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. It's what Jesus claimed for his words as they were being spoken. And therefore, as they were recorded and passed on, what the Bible was claiming for itself all along. All throughout the history of the Bible, we see that God is a speaking God. He's a God who communicates. He's a God who discloses himself through his words. And many of us have found that his words have power unlike anything else. His words can change us, even hard-hearted, big-headed, foolish people like us. They can change us. Why? Because they come with God's power. Because that's how God works. We believe that when God speaks, amazing things happen. Now, all of that is actually in the passage we've read. But it's easy to miss, so let's look at it again. Verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now watch this. The words, Jesus is claiming, the words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the count of the works themselves. Jesus' words are the Father's works. God does his work by speaking words, and it's through those words that the power of the gospel goes forth. So to put it more simply, do you want to personally know God? Do you want your deepest longing and need to be met? Do you want to see Jesus? Then turn to the Bible. It is the perfect record of what Jesus said and did. And not only that, it is God at work. It's not a stale book, but rather it provides the knowledge we need for, for forgiveness and the love of God. The Word of God does the work of God. Now, the implications of this are enormous, and I just want to give you a shotgun spray of things you ought to consider. You ready for that? All right, here we go. A few of you said no, that you're free to get up and go if you'd like. All right? But before I do that, let me ask you again. Do you want to hear from God? Do you realize the thing you need the most is not a spouse. It's not a kid. It's not a degree. It's not a bigger house. It's not nicer food or better clothing. What you and I need is God. And the way God primarily makes himself known very wonderfully is not inside of us. It's not primarily subjective, internal feeling. It's outside of us. It's objective truth rooted in history disclosed in a living book. 
through which God says he speaks. Do you want your heart captured? Do you want your life to mean something? Do you want to see life through his eyes? Then pick up a Bible and read. And watch as the word of God does the work of God. So here's some specific suggestions. When you pick the Bible up, pray for a soft heart and an open mind. That doesn't just happen. We've got to ask God. God, increase my faith. Help me to see what's actually there. Help me not to read my ideas onto what's there, but for it to read me. Read slowly and think deeply about what you read. Learn how to read the Bible from people around you who you respect, who know how, who are perhaps a little further along in the faith. At the end of the day, Church on Mill desires to be a church full of disciples making disciples, people sharing God's word with one another who then turn around and share it with others. And we want to encourage you to read the Bible with both Christians and non-Christians in relationships with them. I've often found that as I read the scriptures with people who are not yet Christians but are who willing to read it, will ask questions that provoke my own faith to grow. So don't hide in a bubble with only believers. You might be shocked at who you know that's not a Christian that would be willing if you said, hey, would you sit with me once a week and let's read a book of the Bible together and just talk about what it means? You might be very surprised at what happens. Set out to know God at least as well as you know your field of study in school or the knowledge you need at work. If our deepest need is to know God, then wouldn't it make sense that we would put effort forth to know him in his scripture? Certainly as much effort as we need to know how to do our jobs or how to get through the major that we're studying. I'm not talking about volume of time, but intentness of desire. And if you don't know where to begin, then start in Mark. Invite a person or two, get together, and simply start reading it. Just yesterday, I had a great discussion in the office with a man who's here today who'd been reading the Bible with Scott Wakefield for months. They've simply gotten together and read the Bible. You should have heard him talk about how much he's learned, how much he's gained through that experience. And they're now in Acts together. We open the Bible to remember that the Bible's central message is how we can be made right with God. The Bible is ultimately the announcement of what God has done in Christ so that we could be right with him. Don't read the Bible through the lens of, if I do this, then I can earn or then I can keep a relationship with God. You see, it's entirely possible to read the Bible in completely the wrong way. That's not the message the Bible gives. That's the message our culture teaches us is how life works. You are what you have. You are what you earn. You are how you look. You are who you have. But the Bible's message is you are what Christ has done for you. You are who Jesus has made you. You are God's child if you've been embraced by God and made right with him. 
The Bible is God's love letter through which we can hear and interact with and be changed by God. Friends, the way we see Jesus and thus the way we know God is not with our physical eyes. But that doesn't mean we can't know him intimately. Because through the Bible, the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit reaches us and discloses who he is. And the church, God's people, then puts those truths on. And just like you clothe your own physical body, we as a church family, a body, clothe ourselves with the scriptures such that when you see how we treat each other, how we forgive, how we speak truth, how we love when we're not particularly lovely, how we seek each other out when we wander away, it's, it's putting clothes on the truths of the Bible so that we can physically see the work that God's doing. So Christians here today, members of Church on Mill, by grace through faith, are you striving to know God more? And are you putting those truths into practice so that people who join us, who pop in, and that happens every week, can physically see Jesus is real, the gospel is powerful, and it's changing lives today. If not, then you need to repent of that and confess it to somebody before you leave and seek to, by grace, live differently this week. Friends, our greatest need is to know God. And fundamentally, we do that through the Bible. Now, maybe you have questions about, well, why should I trust the Bible? Jill, would you give me those? We try fairly often to give away books here. There's lots of legitimate questions about why we should trust the Bible. I had them for years and years and years and years. Some of you can simply have somebody tell you that you respect. This is God's word. Trust it and believe it, and that's enough for you. Others of us, um, we can't do that. We need to research and dig and investigate. And regardless of which lean as a personality you have, I would encourage you to dig the digging because you'll come in relationships with people who have questions. This uh, is a new book out called Can I Really Trust the Bible? And Other Questions About Scripture, Truth, and How God Speaks. It doesn't have pictures, but it's super short. So what I'd like to do is give one of these here to somebody who would say in a room full of people, I'm not sure I believe this stuff you've been saying today but I'm willing to investigate. And I'm willing to take the book and read it. And then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna try and find somebody who can help me in a physical way sit down together and ask more questions than the book would even give me. Is there somebody today who would be so bold and would say that's where I'm at? I hear you, but I'm not sure I buy it all. I see you, but I'm not sure I see it all. Come on up. Tell us your name as you're coming, would you? Say it again. Craig. Craig, come on up. That was a pathetic embrace. Would you give him a more hearty? Great. Thank you. Yeah. The other copy I'd love to give is to somebody who would say, I'm on the same page, but there's more people around me who don't know, and I'd like to know more. I'm not sure, but I think you want it. What's your name? Sierra. Sierra. 
Come on down. You're the next contestant on You Can Win a Book. Give it to Thanks. There's more of those available at the bookstall for simply the cost that they cost us as a church. We believe that God wants you to know him and that he's gone to tremendous effort to reveal himself. In fact, he himself came and he became a man. He lived the perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose victoriously to demonstrate proof that it's all true and now continues to proclaim himself today. To see Jesus is to see the Bible. To see the Bible is to see Jesus. To see Jesus is to see God. So once you pick it up and read, realizing you're not simply interacting with a book, you're interacting with God. Let me pray for you and then we're going to sing a new song to try and help embed some of these truths deeper in our hearts. Before I pray, I would encourage you to take a moment just yourself to ask God to speak to you and to help you know where you're at in terms of a relationship with him.